Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Paul Chabot Show podcast. I got an incredible guest with me here today, Dan Strickland. Dan is a native Texan, uh, served in the Marine Corps and in politics and a small business owner. Uh, just a breadth of knowledge, and I'm honored to have him here as my guest today. Dan, please give a more uh, in-depth background about yourself uh, and what you've been involved with. Well, Paul, thanks for having me on the show, and hello to everybody that's listening to to the to the podcast. My name is Dan Strickland, born and raised uh, in Texas, so born in Fort Worth, Ewley Hospital, December of 1976. I'm about to be 46. I grew up in Carrollton and Flower Mound, which is here in Denton County, Texas, and went to high school, went to Marcus High School, University of North Texas. That's where I met my wife, and uh, we've been married for almost 18 years. We have two kids, Jack, who is 15, and Catherine, who's 12, and uh, they go to Frisco ISD schools. I joined the Marine Corps like three days after I got out of high school and uh, was stationed with first time for the Marines. I'm an infantryman in 0311, so... All the Marines out there, they know what 0311 is. That means you're a rifleman. And they thought a Camp Pendleton and actually Camp San Mateo for the Marines out there. They know where that is. And then obviously on the island of Okinawa and good old Camp Hanson when we when we rotated over there. I'm a part owner of, of a business called IntelliSite. And we provide job site surveillance and security trailers. We help prevent material theft. And I've been in electronic security, video surveillance, access control for my whole career, about 17 years. And it's great timing. And today we're going to discuss you know, really two items, a critical aspect of security. We'll talk about Nancy Pelosi, San Francisco, uh, the break-in, and then also the importance of local government where uh, Dan has served. And also as a small business owner you know, in security, there is obviously in the press right now about how Nancy Pelosi's husband was attacked, their home was broken into, they had security cameras. And what we're learning now is that they had security cameras uh, and the Capitol Police apparently uh, were supposed to monitor them. They were not monitoring them. And the only reason police came is because um, Nancy Pelosi's husband was able to call 911 to have police get dispatched there, which you know kind of brings in um, a big concept. And you and I have talked offline about this is you can have all the different security systems that you have in place, um, but it, it only goes so far. It's like having an alarm system at your house, armed or unarmed. And if it goes off, but you don't have a subscription to your local um, system that will notify police, you're really on your own. And so it looks like what happened in San Francisco, the same thing. These cameras were not necessarily monitored. Any uh, update or, or take on what you've heard so far on the security apparatus on that and anything that you do different? So if you live in California, your tax dollars were spent on that video surveillance system, that security system. Um, they're going to fund you know, the police there. And one of the things about a security system, especially in a area where uh, Nancy Pelosi lives, you know, as a Speaker of the House and as a member of the Senate, you know, she needs a little bit of extra security. We know that. Um, we know that the world right now is uh, can be safe and, and dangerous, and you know, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, there's always going to be the opposition, and there's just. When you're as well known as she is, there's there's a lot of people there out there that are mentally unstable, and so you know we know the guy who did it. He's actually an illegal immigrant. Hmm. He overstayed his temporary six week visa to come to the U.S. So he's a Canadian, yeah. um, but the the cameras weren't monitored, and so unmonitored cameras basically you're just playing back video of a, an event that's happened in the past. 
um, her home in the surrounding area of her property needs to have monitored video. So if there's an issue, they can call the authorities and they can respond quickly. Yeah, and a little bit more of a deep dive on this. I did some more research on uh, the subject here. And if you look at what his family said about him, he was uh, heavily into substance abuse, had mental health issues. And in California, even if you have the best camera systems that are monitored and you get police there like they did in this case, most of these criminals, obviously not in this case where you tried to kill somebody, but many criminals that are committing break-ins um, or even robberies and they're under the influence, they're getting a slap on the wrist. They're back out on the streets often many times before the police officers are done with their shift. And so there's this sense of entitlement amongst criminals in these states that continue to, to victimize. And so you see many more people and families today putting in security systems uh, because they're worried. And you're right. If you only have a security system that's not actively monitored, best case, what you have is evidence to show a crime was committed, but not necessarily to protect your life at that very moment. Um, give your website uh, and, and that so our listeners here can learn more about that. And also in particular, what does your job do on these job sites? If a client calls and says, look, I, I'm interested, what do you do? So the website is intellisite.net. That's I-N-T-E-L-I-S-I-T-E, intellisite.net. We provide job site surveillance and security. We help prevent material theft, vandalism, and vehicles. And so, yeah, my security trailer is out at construction sites. Building materials, lumber, plywood, sheetrock, whatever it is, shingles, they're not serialized, right? So if somebody steals a car, it's you know got a VIN number and things like that, and the police can work on recovering that. You know, if somebody goes and steals a lumber pack that costs $12,000 or windows or whatever it may be that they steal, it'll show up on Facebook Marketplace within 24 to 48 hours. And people can, uh, criminals can sell it on Facebook Marketplace without any repercussions because unless they're caught in the act or evidence uh, wasn't produced from the vehicle they drove to be able to remove the items, you, you can't haul it off. You know, it's not like the, you know, like the LA riots where you said, you know, so guys like carrying TVs, you know, down the road, you, you have to bring a truck in there and it takes a little bit of time to load it up. And when they drive out, they can't go that fast. And so in, in this environment, it really provides the ability to double down on not only catching criminals in the act, but apprehending them too. So uh, we see quite a bit of arrests because, you know, the police respond. Now I, I will say something. It's really important that, you know, we, we have this fun defund the police conversation all over the United States. It is unacceptable for a police response time to be over three and a half minutes. Yeah. And there's many cities where it's double, triple that, and that's not good. And that means that they're not prepared to handle the the 911 load that, that's coming in. And a lot of times, you know, they deprioritize stuff. And if you look at states like California, I mean, a home break-in, a robbery or something like that, I mean, it's they're really slow to respond if they do at all. And I know there's areas of California where there's a patrol car might drive by 15 minutes later. They just don't have enough police. Uh, it's actually, you know, worse than that. We're, we're real spoiled out here in, in North Texas. I moved out from Southern California and you, know, you and I live in cities where uh, low crime, lots of support for police and response time is pretty good. Just to give the listeners uh, uh, some background, one of the cities I lived in was the city of San Bernardino in Southern California. In the 1970s, it was rated literally the all-American city. 
uh, jobs, low crime. I mean, everything that you can imagine that, that gave it that title. Well, if you look at San Bernardino today, uh, it's one of the poorest cities of its size in the country, has one of the highest crime rates. They've lost most of their small businesses. Their police force has just been diminished because of budget cuts. And the mayor that's running out there today, I just heard uh, him speak. He said it could take day, not 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 hours, days to get a police officer to respond to take a report if they will even able to take a report. And the reason is they have so few officers and there's so much violence in that city that all they have time to do is go from 911 emergency call to 911 call and not respond to what we take for granted out here, which is our property crimes. If we have a car broken into, which doesn't happen often uh, out here in these cities that we live in, you'll get a police response fairly quick to take the report. But in these other cities, you don't. And I think the lesson there is, how do we keep the cities that we live in now that are very good from turning into these cities 20, 30 years from now and what lessons can be learned? We could focus tons of sessions on that. But Dan served on city council, lived in the city of Frisco. I think Frisco is one of the greatest cities in America. Not only does it attract amazing families and small businesses, but it's done a great job attracting sports. You got the Dallas Cowboy headquarters over there. You've got uh, baseball, you've got just amenities throughout. It's a great run city. Dan, uh, this show is also you know, about keeping America strong. Keeping America strong right. is about keeping, making sure the ordinary average American gets into public service and elected to office. What is your take on getting into elected office at the city council level? How do you do it? And what is it really like serving on a city council? So I'm going to back up a little bit. And first, I'm going to talk about why I ran. And so I believe that it's our job as Americans to make sure that we create the environment that we want to live in and provide opportunities for others. And here's how you provide opportunity. It's the most simple of recipes, yet it's extremely tough for people to replicate because there's all sorts of outside forces that try to unravel this. And that's what happened in San Bernardino. First thing you have to do is you need to support small businesses. A lot of people are like, look, I'm so busy, you know, taking my kids to soccer games and dance class or, you know, academic decathlon, whatever activities they're in. You know, maybe mom and dad are both working. Maybe it's a, it's a single family, a single parent household. I understand that. You can shop local. Small businesses are the backbone of every local economy. When you shop at a small business, you know, it puts money into those families' hands so they can pay for, you know, those classes there at the local dance studio or the local karate studio, however that works and however they, they wish to be involved in that. You must have a strong business model in your city that's supportive of these small business owners. The Chamber of Commerce is extremely important, and you must get the message out that we are pro-business, we are business-friendly we not only want you to come here, we want you to thrive. We're going to support you in thriving. As a council member, I visited dozens and dozens of businesses from the from the smallest shops to, you know, like the HEB grand opening, which is a, a major grocery store. So I'm always there to support the small business owners. Every city needs to be that way. That's also important, too. Because if small businesses can succeed, then the bigger companies can come in. So Frisco has uh, now the 
national headquarters of the PGA. That's right. I forgot to mention that PGA, right, right? The Dallas Cowboys headquarters is in PGA. Dr. Trevor Curry. The list goes on and on. And the reason why is we are a business friendly here in Frisville because we understand that we want to take as much of the tax burden off the rooftops as possible. That's a really big point because mm-hmm. the, the complaint that I hear uh, amongst certain cities, not about not Frisco, but other cities in the area, is that the cities are not doing a good enough job attracting businesses. Because sure. if 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 your tax base is only based largely on homeowners, then they are bearing a huge percentage of the cost for all city services. Whereas if you have businesses that come in, that helps generate tax revenue, which goes into the general fund. And doesn't necessarily mean that the city has to look at higher rates for homeowners. Is that what you would say is 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 a is happening today across Texas? I know other states a little bit different based on uh, structures, but here in Texas, would you say that's pretty accurate, or anything else it's, like that? It's, it's very accurate, and this is what's really hurting even larger cities across North America. I'll use Detroit yeah. as a really good example of that. So, you know, for example, if you're if your city is known as being business friendly, the bigger businesses move in there. Well, they have employees that come to the office. Those employees get fuel, they eat out locally, and they may even shop locally while they're up there. So that's additional revenue, right? If it's a if it's a big enough organization, they're going to have team members fly in, our clients fly in, and they can stay at your local hotels. And so everything counts in small amounts. I always tell people that. So it's so important to have that network all tied in together. And this is where cities really, really miss the mark. And when it comes to police, I am 100% for making sure our police officers have the tools and the resources necessary to do their job. Family with our firefighters and all of our first responders. It is unimaginable to me what our first responders and our police officers have to go through out there, especially in this culture of they're, they're really anti-police. Now, look, I understand. I don't like or approve and I condemn some of the behaviors, you know, that I've seen by rogue police officers out there. But you have to understand there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them. Just because a few of them made some bad choices doesn't reflect as a whole on the whole police force across the United States. And, and if we listen to this garbage that's spewed uh, on media about that, we're really doing ourselves and our community a disservice. None of that should ever be really um, put out there in such a, a negative light. If, if you're doing things that you shouldn't do as a police officer and a first responder, you're going to get found out you're going to get charged and you're going to deal with very severe consequences. Judges don't tolerate that. If you're a, a first responder, a police officer, they know you know better and they will throw the book at you. And there's many, many cases where people get locked up for a long time for, for what they do. But we want to support our police officers. We want to support our first responders. They're out there. They're doing a tough job. Now, there's a lot of cities that struggle to recruit police officers, too. So with the way that the rhetoric is out there, why would I want to go be a police officer and deal with the garbage that these people spew at you? Without having the support of your elected officials. Yeah, yeah they, they, I've seen people yell and scream at a police officer, and I, I just go, why would you 
yell at a police officer. They're there to enforce the law. They see you doing something wrong. They have to write you a ticket or arrest you, depending on, on what the crime is. If you want to argue with somebody, if you want to yell and scream at somebody, go to the judge and do that. <laughs> This is where 99% of people, the, a, a crime escalates from a parking ticket or whatever it is to the next thing they know, they're putting handcuffs and they're hauled downtown because they, they escalate it. Look, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. You have no idea what that police officer's been through that day and the garbage they've been through. A good example, I was speeding in Oklahoma City going to a meeting. This is about two years ago. It was a hot summer day. Do they have speed limits in Oklahoma? They do have speed limits in Oklahoma City, and they've got a very professional highway patrol force uh, on very fast motorcycles that will uh, track you down and pull you over and uh, write you a ticket. So this police officer, he pulled me over. I think I was going like 88 in a 70. I was really going about 94. Okay. And, and I shouldn't have been speeding, and you know, I, wasn't, I, was, I had a new car, and heavy on the gas. He's like, you know, took my license information. He goes, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, yes, sir. I was speeding. He goes, have you going like 24 over the speed limit? I'm like, I'm so sorry. He goes, why were you going to that? I'm actually late to a meeting. I'm, you know, meeting at this uh, restaurant here in uh, Cowtown in uh, Oklahoma City in the, in the stockyards. And uh, that's why, sir. He's like, all right, well, well, let me run your information. And he was sweating. I mean, it was a hot day. Sure. He was miserable. But the first thing I did is I said, yeah, I was speeding. Now, I'm sorry for that. Like, I took responsibility. He came back. He goes, I only wrote you a ticket for like eight over. Yeah. He goes, it's a low-level low ticket. I'll take care of it. And I said, you know, God bless you, man. Yeah. I said, be safe out there. But please go drink some water. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, then, and it's hot out here. And that's, you know, I was a reserve deputy sheriff, retired to 21 years. And I grew up as a kid not liking the police at all. And uh it's funny, I ended up, you know, becoming one. And I always tell parents, uh, you know, we need a strong military, but we also need a strong local uh, public safety department. And so for parents out there, if you want to get your kids involved in something great, call your local police or fire department and ask about the Explorer program. Uh, they get to ride along with the police or the fire department, learn about the job. That's how I got my foot in the door. I did it for five years, loved it and became a reserve deputy sheriff at 21. And what you learn is obviously real quick is that, um, you know, cops are people too. Their moms, their dads, or everybody else, just ordinary average people with an incredible job uh, to do. So consider that as an option for your kids and family. And uh, be sure to pass that on the Explorer program. We need that. We need that. You know, we talk about having a strong military in this country. We're, we're down in our numbers, uh, but we're also having a hard time domestically recruiting for police officers. So whether you join the military or police force, it's all the same about keeping uh, America strong. Um, so Dan, in the few minutes that, that we have left here, when we think about you know, what advice would you give to somebody sitting at home going, man, you know, I really want to get involved. I want to run for school board or I want, want to run for city council. Uh, but you know, I, how do I get started in this? What is the first step that you would recommend uh, to somebody that has the passion, they want to do it for the right reasons, but they just don't know where to begin? Sure. So I would join your local PTA and the PTA is not... The local PTA is not a political organization. Nationally, they, they do have PACs that they're associated with, but you'll learn what's going on in the school district. Certainly go to the, the board meetings as well. And, you know, there's usually opportunities to get involved. They'll have some sort of, you know, commissions to, you know, study certain things, maybe a bond committee of, of that nature. And that's the same way with, with city council. 
a good way to get involved with city council is to go to the city council meetings, understand what's what's going on, and you know maybe apply for a board or a commission. There's all sorts of stuff. You know, there's planning and zoning, economic development corporation, parks and recreation. I mean, there's you know veterans advisory board. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of a bunch of ways to get involved, and they certainly want you to you know be a part of it. There's there's really never enough people. To, to volunteer and uh, you'll be surprised at the low numbers of volunteers that they have to, to do stuff. So there's wonderful opportunity there. So when you spend a little bit of time understanding what's going on and, you know, certainly um, depending on what your political leaning, there's going to be some party affiliations in there. And, you know, you'll probably tie into the folks that are, you know, believe along your political beliefs. And if you want to run for office, you know, do do an inventory and, you know, you need to, you know, first understand that running for office is very expensive. Yeah. So as a Frisco City Council member, I made $700 a month, which is about $630 after taxes. Mm-hmm. That's about enough money to pay my electric bill. Yeah. So, and in, in you're spending, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week doing city council stuff. And you have to have a job or be in a position that allows you to spend that amount of time without affecting your business. And so a lot of people that run for council school, a lot of them are small business owners or have very flexible jobs like being a realtor or being an insurance salesperson, a mortgage loan officer, which which allows them to be able to, an attorney, but allows them to be able to do that. So understand what that is know that it's going to going to cost you money and depending on the size of the city you live in you can run for school board you can run for city council for as little as probably seven to ten thousand dollars up into you know the hundreds of thousands depending on if you're running in like a giant city like san francisco yeah and so but for the average american i'd say you you know, most cities you probably need between seven and fifteen thousand dollars to run. You can certainly raise that. You know, uh, donors are are a big important part to what you do. But uh, you know, get your messaging out there. Talk to people. Make sure that they can clearly understand what your point of view is and what you want to see done. So when I ran, and I still believe this, that you know, we need to support businesses and small businesses. For our, our local economy, so we need to shop local. Uh, we need to support our police and our first responders. And um, you know, I was endorsed by our, our firefighters association, and I'm also endorsed by our police officers association. Getting endorsements is is very important too, as well. And you need to understand, you know, what's going on in in your community, and if there's a problem that you're trying to solve, give them a clear. Uh, way that you're going to solve it. And so one of the one of the issues that we had was um, high density apartments. Mm-hmm. You know, we were putting these high density apartments in Frisco and people people were against that. And um, you know, I did my best on on council to really kind of slow that down and certainly get the apartments, you know, per project down. And you know, it didn't make a lasting impact on stuff. So but there's there's a lot of different things that are going on in cities. A lot of some have water issues. You know, there's just you know there's a plethora, a plethora of things. So do your research, understand, um, and know about your city too as well. Know about your school district, depending on on what you're going to run for. And you know the the good news is is keep trying. Yeah, yeah. 
You just keep pushing. And, you know, I lost my first city council election. There's seven people in the race. I think I was number five out of seven. It was bad. I got smoked. And then the next time I ran, 17,000 people voted for me. I won. And I, I ran against, you know, one of the people in there was uh, on a, you know, well well known in the community and unfortunately uh they didn't realize that you know while they thought they were well known the the voters really didn't put much credence into 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 that message nobody really wanted to wanted to hear what what that person uh had to say sure you you mentioned that, that how much time you you've got to put into the, to that job with such a small paycheck so obviously folks don't do it for for the money um when people think of city council, you know, they, they imagine a city council meeting and I'm assuming you had two, two public meetings a month, but then you also had maybe side committee meetings and, and other meetings about meetings because sure. you're on committee. So it's not just the one meeting that, that you see uh, where public makes comments. There's other meetings that happen as well. It's the meetings outside the meetings to plan the meetings. Right? Got it. Got so it. Say the, the role of a city council member is to you're a you're a board member of the city, so you don't directly operate the city in Frisco. And other cities don't have they don't they don't have the city manager type of setup they have where the mayor is the you know basically the CEO of the city. Like our mayor is is a kind of a is a figurehead. Yeah, and uh, we our our city manager run you know he, they run the city. And Frisco has over 220,000 citizens that live in it and over 1,400 city employees. I mean, we've got you know, like 230 police officers and we have almost 300 firefighters. So we've got a, you know, we're, we're a pretty good sized city. But um, yeah, there's a lot of discussion on each of the departments of the city, whether you're talking about planning and zoning development businesses that are looking to come in and, and build in your city not not everybody can you know come by land and can uh, develop you know in a city you have certain areas that you want certain types of businesses and so uh, in an area that's zoned for homes you might have a home builder that comes in but those homes don't meet the standard of the type of homes that you know you want in that specific part of the city, or maybe they want to bring in multifamily apartments and it's not zoned for that. And you know, you've you know you you're talking to developers, you're talking to, you know, basically stakeholders in the community, a lot of business owners. And you know, as long as you're doing what's right for the city and you're you're keeping your constituents, you know, what is you know, what's their priority? You know, what's the best thing for the constituents? How do you want to see the city? And what I would also recommend is you need to have a vision. I like vision statements. And so, you know, what is it that is your vision? So my vision for Frisco is a city where everyone can live, work, and play with an opportunity to thrive and that it's safe for everyone, right? Yeah. And so safety, security, uh, the ability for upward economic mobility and to be able to thrive, not just individually, but you know, your family and your business. That's really what it's all about. Yeah. You let people know that you get that message out there. It, it's a good message and more people need to hear that. Yeah, it is. I think Frisco is doing it right. Um, I don't live in Frisco. I live next door in uh, McKinney. But when you look at Frisco and the people that live there, there's a very positive um, 
uh, attitude about the city, mm -hmm. I think, and what people say about it. And speaking of that, not everybody can or wants to run for office. Sure. But the other way that people can impact uh, decisions is uh, by taking some time to speak to the city council. And uh, during public comments, anybody can go and speak. I think on average, they might have three or five minutes. What advice would you give to somebody who says, look, I want to go speak on an issue before the city council. I've only got three minutes. What advice sh can you give them based on your experience to help them best formulate th that impactful three minutes or five minutes that are allotted for them to, to right. speak? So uh, during public comment, uh, one of the things that your listeners need to know is we're not allowed to comment back. So we can't answer questions. Mm -hmm. So somebody goes, hey, Councilman Strickland, you know, what's your favorite color? I'm not going to be able to say blue. I just, I, you don't comment back. It's just for them to talk, mm -hmm. for us to listen. And I would do your homework and, and do your research. There's a tremendous amount of activity that's going on behind the scenes in the city. It doesn't matter if it's Frisco or it's McKinney or it's Denton or Dallas you know, Frisco has over 1,400 employees in a multitude of departments, and they're doing all sorts of work all over the city. There's a tremendous amount of work that's getting done. Some of the stuff that citizens see on the surface isn't the whole story, right? And do your do your research before you come, and then whatever you you want to talk about, you know, Make notes of it, put it on a notepad, because when you walk up there, you're going to get nervous because all eyes are on you. And yes, there's cameras in there. You're, you are being recorded a lot of times. It's uh, on you know local cable TV or it's it's live on Facebook because all uh, public meetings um, in, in cities are uh, made available. And date your piece. You know, and we've had some really good speakers come in and we've had many people who completely missed the opportunity. Yeah. Um, they weren't coherent in what they were saying. Their message didn't make any sense. And, you know, I'm going to talk to people after they make comments because I'm looking to find a solution, right? And they they live there too, and I want to be as much of a help as, as I can possibly be. And, and really, truly, that's what being a council member and a public servant is about. You're a connector. So there's a lot of people that, you know, they, they, maybe they're frustrated. They need some information. They're having this issue. And it's always, oh, my HOA is trying to do this and that. And it's like, okay, well, let's, let's, you know, let's discuss what's going on. And, you know, we tend to have a little bit better understanding of the law and, and, and things like that. But, you know, we, I think for the most part, you know, I always wanted to, I always wanted to help out people. And I think our speakers were, you know, in citizen input, we're, we're, we're pretty good. And so, yeah, just make sure you're, you know, research on what you say and go, go, go and say. Awesome. Yeah. I remember some of the, the big successful ones I've seen um, in addition to individuals is uh, groups will get organized. They'll be, you know, they'll be respectful. They might wear colored shirts. They might kind of come in to get attention. And like you said, do your research and then uh, pay attention to those little lights that, uh, that signify how much time you've got left. Do you have those in Frisco? They, they color coded when you're out of time or does the mayor just cut you off right at three? Yeah, no, there's a, there, you know, there's a timer and, you know, there's been groups in there and here's, here's what I always tell you. It's they're happy to see you yeah. and, you know, wear all your matchy matchy shirts. Yeah. That's good. And that's great. That's wonderful. While the council members, we do, you know, they do vote. The power is with the people. So if you want to get your message out, you need to start a campaign with the citizens of Frisco. 
you need to reach out to them because they're ultimately who decides who sits on that council. So the best way to get through to a council member is to speak to my supporters and, and you know, speak to or speak to their supporters and you know, speak to that individual council member. Um, going as a group and talking in front of the council, it's somewhat impactful, but if they don't know about it beforehand, it's kind of like, well, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Why didn't you give me a call or send me an email? Uh, I, I've been to so many coffee meetings and lunches and you know dinners with people just to listen. And that's what we're that's what council members and school board members are there to do. They're there to listen to the needs and the concerns of the community. I think that's probably the number one aspect of, of their job. And when I was on council, you know, I had sometimes two and three copies a day, even on Saturday <laughs> and Sundays, right? Because people, people want the reassurance that, A, I have somebody in the local government that's listening to me, and I give them a 20-minute audience. Yeah. And we can talk about it. Yeah. And and they'll and they'll never never forget it. And uh, Dan, you got a great great reputation. Great to have you on the show. Uh, Dan Strickland is my guest for this podcast, the Paul Chabot Show. Dan, uh, tell our listeners where they can find you. Oh gosh, you can find me at danstrickland.com. And um, Paul, thank you for having me on the show today. It's been absolutely fantastic. You bet, brother. Uh, so, uh, listeners, thanks again for joining. It's about keeping America strong, engaging your local government. In the crazy times we live in, Dan gave some great advice about a security camera and systems. Uh, very notable today with what we see happening across this country. God bless you all. See you next time. Out. Hi, I'm Derek Baker. And I'm Paul Chabot. And we founded GOPAgent.com because America is in trouble. We've spent our entire lives in Republican politics, from working on Capitol Hill to the White House. We believe in America and the conservative values that built this great nation we all call home. As you know, those conservative values are under attack. We're real estate agents and we help clients buy and sell homes in all 50 states. Yes, most of our clients do leave blue states for red states, but many others must continue the battle in their blue states because of a job, taking care of a family member, or any other host of good reasons. If you're a patriot and vote Republican, then please pay attention. A real estate agent earns a commission every time they help a client buy or sell a house. These same agents are required to pay dues to realtor associations. These associations have political action committees spending lots of money supporting candidates who reportedly support realtor values. As we say in Texas, Houston, we have a problem. In 2020 and 2022, the National Association of Realtors gave more money and supported Democrats over Republicans for political office. In fact, in 2020, National Association of Realtors spent more helping Democrats than in the entire history of financial disclosures, as shown on the website Open Secrets. Even in conservative Texas, local realtor associations routinely support and donate thousands to moderate or even liberal candidates who oppose our values and even oppose policies beneficial to homeowners. So why is this important to you? If you ever sell or buy a home, work with a Republican agent who shares your conservative values because they're not gonna give money they earn from a commission on the sale or purchase of your home to support a radical candidate that goes against your values. At GOPAgent.com, our licensed real estate agents won't give a dime to Democrats. Whether you're considering a move across the country or just across town, GOPAgent.com can help. Thank you and God bless.